Hey, this is Rakim, Emacs Cast, episode 7. It's funny how I made the first six episodes in maybe a month or so, and then it got some traction, and I started this Patreon page, and now people support me with some money for each episode, but I haven't published any episodes after that, as if uh, having cold feet or, you know, having this additional responsibility. But uh, it's mostly just a bunch of uh, coincidences. I want to start this year with this episode of uh, answering a few questions I got. First of all, thank you for all the questions and and emails and tweets. Uh, I do get quite a lot of uh, correspondence from you guys, considering the naturally limited audience of this podcast. So in terms of percentage, the audience for EmacsCast is quite vocal and quite active, and this is amazing. Thank you. I thought I'll just keep getting these uh, questions as long as I do. And from time to time, I'll have a kind of a QA episode. This is one of those. Uh, it's actually based on just a couple of people, but uh, one of them asked several questions. So that's uh, that's worth the whole episode, I think. Uh, before I get into it, I want to share my plans for the following episodes and ask you for more ideas and feedback. So I lately got back into Lisp and uh, Clojure, and I thought I could talk about the way it works in Emacs, the development environment, the whole suite of extensions that make writing Clojure code easier, and it's both Clojure and Clojure script, and uh, yeah, well, it's basically CIDR and a couple of more extensions, but uh, it's a a really nice experience, and I, I wanted to share it one way or another. Another idea for a, for an episode, I thought I could share all the resources that I have found useful when learning and continuing to learn Emacs and websites and blogs and, and active people in the community and, and videos and all that. Just like a, a meta review of the resources available for this topic. I thought one of those resources is the official manual, this, this big, big book. Uh, that's available as a free uh, resource uh, on the website as a PDF. And you can also buy a thick physical book. You can actually get, if you pay 50 bucks more, you can get a physical book with uh, Richard Stallman's signature. So that's something. I thought, no, the official manual is this huge thing that's on its own. So it should be a separate episode about it. I haven't finished reading the official manual yet. And I'm actually waiting for my order to come. I hopefully get this thick book because it it just so nice. It looks nice. Of course, you can you can read it all for free, and it's actually faster to find stuff uh, in the browser. But I kind of want want to have this uh, book in my paper library. So once it it comes, I hopefully finish all the remaining chapters from paper, and then I'll have an episode of Emacscast all about the official manual. Another idea for an episode is Evil, the Vim emulation layer for Emacs. It's a big ecosystem, it's a big thing in the Emacs world, and it's one of the things that makes Emacs community grow, because many Vim users switch to Evil, and, well, coincidentally switch to Emacs. Because of that, I don't have much experience with it, and I'll talk just a bit about it in this episode, but then... I thought I'll just make an experiment and I, I'll try to switch to Evil for maybe a month or so and see how it goes and then share my experience. I did use Vim shortly uh, in the past, so 
it should be fine. Another minor idea, I'm not sure if it's if it should be a separate episode or... And it's quite limited, because I want to talk about macOS builds. There are multiple builds of Emacs for macOS, and each has pros and cons, and um, let me know. Actually, tell me if uh, any of those are interesting to you. Tell me if you are a Mac user or... Uh, a PC user. I just want to know more about the audience so that I can tailor down these uh, ideas. And of course, if you have any other ideas or you just want me to talk about something or you maybe want to share something, maybe you have like a story or something that can start uh, a topic for an episode, please let me know any way you want a comment uh, on the Reddit or an email to emaxcast at rakim.org. Okay, let me open my main org file. So I, of course, do many things in org mode, and I store most of the notes and text and and code snippets and whatever, and keep my journal. And I've tried using org for to-dos, but decided to get back to uh, things, which is just a nice macOS app. So I don't do uh, GTD or agenda view or anything like that in org. It's just for text and nicely structured text. And as you would expect, when I started it, I said, okay, well, I'm going to have these multiple files. I'll have a journal file, and then I'll have a, back then, to-do file, and this snippets file, and, you know, just about 10 files in the org folder. And then to navigate between them quickly, I could, you know, make a Git repository inside so that I can quickly switch to it using projectile, because now it's just another project on my system and then within the project I can switch between files so that's nice but then just have multiple files and often you need to have two files open uh, at the same time and it took me a while to realize that there's no really no good reason to have separate files for these things so now I only have one called main org and it has everything it has just my regular notes, uh, it has something for this project, for all the other projects, and those are just subtrees. And the good thing about org is that you can, what's called, narrow down and kind of just see a subtree, some subsection of your text, as if it was the whole file. And you don't see anything else, you, you cannot scroll up, or it just, it like a simulating a file, which is a part of your file. And this is a great feature because this is how, at least my mind works, I focus on something and I want not just hide everything else, but make it inaccessible. So now I have this Emacscast subtree open in my main org. And it seems like this is an Emacscast file, but it's still the same huge main org file. And this feature of narrowing down and seeing just, just a small thing, it goes deeper in org because, well, if you write a code snippet, there are different types of subsections you can have uh, there's a source code subsection there are there's quote there are others you can of course create your own but once you have a subsection let's say for a code snippet you can actually hit the key binding and uh, open it in a separate buffer as if that was a separate file and just edit work on that file you can enable different extensions for that buffer for example something for that particular programming language that you have a snippet in and just work with it as if it was a separate file then hit control cc i think and it just goes back and saves everything you can do it with any selection now so i really like this feature and i do it a lot when i write uh, let's say tutorials or uh, online courses i have some text and then i have a code snippet 
and I want to work on this code snippet because it's it's a small program. I want to, first of all, work on it as if it was a separate programming project. I don't want to work with it as text. I have this, this is a program. And I want to have this isolated, another space for it. And this is just a preference because many people don't find any problems writing wherever, but I kind of get claustrophobic. When I'm writing, I want a couple of more empty lines before and after the place where I'm writing. So I often found myself just having empty lines and then deleting them. But with something like narrowing, I can just have it in a separate buffer. So now I have not just empty lines, I have nothing around that text. I said on Twitter that, that this is a great feature, but I would love to have something like this everywhere, not just in org files. And of course, there's an extension for that. You can just select some text and uh, hit it key combination and this text will open in a separate buffer as if it's a separate file. Then you do anything with it, hit save or control CC as well, and it gets pasted back. And that's just perfect. That's the way my, my brain works and this is this is perfect. So that that was uh, unrelated to whatever I'm gonna talk next. I'm just seeing this Emacscast uh, subtree open and it's it's nice and limited and I see nothing else. And I see a question, a bunch of questions from a listener called Ronak. That's a cool, epic name, I should say. I hope I pronounced it correctly. Ronak says, first of all, I'd say that the podcast was amazing. I share quite similar opinions with regard to Emacs and open source software in general. Thank you, Ronak. Ronak continues. I have a couple of questions for you. To give my background, I've been using Emacs, my personal config, and also SpaceMax for two years now. I find SpaceMax to be bloated. I like getting under the hood of Emacs for customization. This thing I hate about my personal config is that sometimes, due to evil mode, some key bindings don't work as they are supposed to. I need your suggestions for the following. First, what is your opinion on the evil collection packages? I want to use it to fix my bindings issue. I guess you have more experience using evil and uh, whatever comes with it than me because I only used it for maybe a week just to test things out. I never use it for full-time work. And uh, also my opinion is a bit skewed towards the dislike for model editing in general. I don't think it's a good idea for many occasions. And um, I'm trying to be mindful of this tendency among developers among well, technical people in general, to over-optimize. Well, let me put it this way. Just a few weeks ago, I read an article by someone who is a programmer with decades of experience. And he says, I have these decades of experience, but I have nothing to show for it because most of the work I've done is for clients and most of that work is actually not there anymore. It's, it's just gone. The websites and products are gone. The companies are gone. I haven't worked on many side projects. Well, he had, but as you know, if you do that, if you work on a side project, then you have tens and tens of those unfinished things just laying around for years. And it takes a tremendous amount of work to actually ship something, to finish something and show it to people. He argues that this is a problem that he sees in himself and you can probably relate if you are a programmer, is that you start uh, with an idea and it's it just nice and you, you get into some coding and you have a prototype and then you decide, well, this code is really bad. I have to optimize it. I have to make it nice. I Well, this is my project, right? I have to make it right. He talks about trying to be perfect, a perfectionism kind of thing. And maybe 
you can describe it this way. I'll just describe it as uh, the general tendency of technical people to over-optimize because, well, this is the thing that we find the most fun most of the time. I bet many of you got into programming not because you wanted to ship a product, right? They didn't think about shipping a product, or at least I didn't. I thought about writing code, fiddling with computers. And if you keep doing it, if you work on your side project, but, you know, keep tuning the database connection and changing frameworks and refactoring your code, you're not getting closer to shipping. You're not getting closer to a finished product. But you are having fun, kind of. Well, it might seem from distance like you are angry all the time, but this is the thing that uh, made you love computers probably why am i talking about this well this is also relevant not in code but in tools we use and in tools we tune and the whole reason this podcast exists is that i found it uh, nice and interesting to fiddle with this text editor there's no really good reason i mean yeah I, i can justify this all day long i can say how nice everything is set up for myself and how efficient i am with emacs compared to other text editors and how key bindings i use are so fast but it's not like i made my work 10 times more efficient and i made myself 10 times more productive i don't think there is a good story about anyone who you know discovered emacs and then finally he or she finished all the side projects and, you know, started a company, etc. It's a tool. It works. It helps. It gives you marginal improvements. And with something like model editing, the whole premise of model editing is there are two things that are both related to efficiency. It's just speed and uh, kind of efficient text language, the language of text manipulation. So instead of just using arrows, Basically, all you need to edit text is all those letters and then arrows and a delete button. And you'll be fine. You can write anything, anything you can write in Emacs and Vim and and, and Notepad. There's nothing that Emacs or Vim give you that just blows Notepad out of the water in terms of what you can produce in the end. Yes, it will probably take more time to just write everything and move with an arrow. But I mean, how much do you have to write when... People talk about Vim and, and they say, well, this model editing, this this the way I can, you know, edit and navigate text is just so much faster and the, the way I type and do everything with let's say I have a, I'm a touch typer, I, I do it so fast, I do like two hundred letters a minute or something like that. And I'm thinking, yeah, awesome. Are you like a court reporter? You know, that person who writes everything every single person says in a court hearing for hours and hours. Why do you need that speed? I mean, it's nice to have. I appreciate it. I want to have it too if I can. But I hardly write, maybe if I'm lucky, a few hundred lines of code per day. And if I do it even twice as fast, it's not like the whole, the, the actual amount of minutes of typing. It's not even hours. It's, well... <laughs> It's marginal. Most of the time in programming is not typing and it's not even navigating. It's it's just a whole bunch of different things. And of course, it could be different for you. And uh, sometimes, yeah, you have to you just you have to write like a thousand lines of code and that will uh, make a difference if you can make it faster. But I don't know. I'm, I'm always in a dilemma about things like that. Uh, on one hand, I do love all the things that you can fiddle with and, and think about efficiency and justify everything. But uh, I mean, if you go to writers forums, you know, people who write, let's say, fiction books, 
they write a lot more per day than any programmer, like 10 times more, I think, in terms of actual symbols on the paper. And uh, of course, they also talk about tools and software and computers and keyboards, but not that much. If you compare it, they don't talk about that stuff as much. Or maybe they do in like hidden hidden places, I'm not sure. But from what I saw, many of those people talk about mainly the story, the thing that they write, the ideas, the characters. And it seems like every single software developer spends at least some amount of time thinking and talking about tools. And it's just so... It's funny, I guess. If you're thinking... What's your point? I I don't think I can deliver on that. I just got carried away and I'm trying to retrace my steps back, you know, have have this uh, trace back view of my thoughts and sometimes the the memory is overflown and I cannot get my way back. But I think I'm getting back. I th- yeah, so I was talking about VM and uh, model editing. The reason I don't get into I don't buy into model editing is that for me, it's more, it's just not worth it. If it's nice and if you like it, if you enjoy it, there's nothing I should even say. Do what you like. That's it. Especially if it's something useful. But, uh, and I guess this is not for Ronak, because uh, Ronak is, uh, seem to be a, a model editing Vim style user anyway. So Ronak is probably enjoying it. But if you are thinking, I don't like Vim, but those, you know, experienced developers say you should get into it at some point and you, like, real developers use Vim, uh, just forget about it. It's it's not worth your time. I mean, listening to those people, not, not worth your time. Try it. If you don't like it, don't use it. So anyway, that was that was the uh, decision process for me at some point, because at, at some point I was uh, affected by those opinions that uh, I, I felt kind of second class by using Sublime Text, which is just a every man's regular newbie editor and uh, people saying, ah, yeah, 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 but, just, you know, at some point you got to switch to Vim. And I was thinking, oh, man, I'm, I just, I want to, I want to be like them. I want to be in the, you know, the high leagues. I'm just, but I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. But, well, they promise it. It will, it will worth it. But I don't know. Now I just don't care. It was a similar story with Emacs because that's another thing that people say. Well, you, you gotta you gotta use Emacs, right? If 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 you're serious about your craft, then oh, that uh, Sublime like Notepad plus plus whatever VS Code, not serious, just just not serious. I don't think you can hear anything like that from writers. There's no correct software or correct hardware for writing good books. And I don't think anyone would take uh, an advice seriously if someone says, well, to write really good books and to be a real writer, you have to use a typewriter. Like you use that Microsoft Word stuff, it's not serious. If you're serious about your craft, at some point you got to switch to a typewriter. And that's just ridiculous, right? The question was, what is your opinion on the evil collection packages? And I guess I bloated this uh, out of proportion just because I don't have uh, a good opinion on it because I don't have a good experience with it. If you are trying to fix your binding issue by adding more packages, I honestly, without experience, but I'm honestly thinking that's an endless battle. From what I know and from my from what I heard, it's never going to be perfect. Evil is a great package and it's super high quality. Some related packages are really good also, but 
it's always going to be an artificial level on top of Emacs. It's always going to be leaking. So the, the underlying native Emacs will always be leaking. And you will always find, I think, you will always find those places where you kind of get disenchanted. Oh, this is not really Vim. This is something where it doesn't work. If you really, if you want it, then uh, I don't think you should listen to me and like uh, say no to that. If I were you, if I, if I was in a position that I like Emacs, I want to use Emacs, but I want to use Vim key bindings, then I would limit this to text editing only. So I wouldn't even try evil packages for everything else. Uh, I know it's more cognitive load, like you have to kind of live in two worlds, but by limiting one of those worlds, you at least have no this leaking problem. So I would use Vim just for text editing. Other key bindings, other packages, you know, even going into the mode line, I wouldn't want to use Vim key bindings in the mode line. I would just use native Emacs. And by doing it, I think I'll, I'll keep myself sane because uh, other choices, you got to keep working all the time on maintaining this uh, quite complex system. So if you uh, just go to Reddit, there, there are a bunch of discussions about evil and uh, this opinion is shared by many people. But yeah, that's, that's what I think about evil. Question number two from Ronak is, should I permanently switch to Doom Emacs? I don't think, oops, sorry. <laughs> I'm not sure if you heard it. It's a nice sound, but uh, it's my lamp. And when I talk, uh, I sit in front of my computer, there's my microphone on the right and the lamp on the left. And I move my hands a lot. Even right now, I'm moving my hands. Can you can you hear me moving my hands? And I often touch my lamp, my, my mouse, my microphone. So sometimes I'm, I'm in the middle of a, like a heated argument with myself and I hit my microphone really hard. And in the recording, sometimes it's hard to, like I forget about it, but then I hear oh damn, this is just ruined and I have to fix it. But uh, with the lamp, I, I decided I'll just keep it. If I do it, then it's fine. It's a nice sound. So I don't think you should permanently switch to anything. Again, I'm not sure if this is helpful to anyone, but it, I found it helpful for me always comparing our industry and our craft to other industries and other people and other you know professionals. Of course, it's not a one-to-one -one connection. We are not writers. We are not doctors, right? We, we shouldn't do as they do. But uh, just to put things into perspective, I always try to compare ourselves and the questions we ask and the advices we get to other professionals. So let's say one writer asks another writer, should I permanently switch to Microsoft Word? I've been using this Apple Pages for a while. I, I wrote two books in Apple Pages, but now I'm thinking maybe I should permanently switch to Microsoft Word. And I guess the other, <laughs> the other writer would say, what? Like, what are you talking about? You can, I guess you can try, but permanently, why? So I'm not sure what, what you meant by permanently. i guessing you didn't mean like for life, forever. But I know what you mean, probably, because it seems like you are somewhat tired of fixing things that don't work and, and break. And you also find Space Max bloated, which I agree, I also find it bloated. In this regard, Doom Emacs is excellent. It's like the best of two worlds. It's not bloated, it's super fast. It's still a nicely done collection uh, and configuration 
of Emacs. And uh, just imagine how many thousands of man hours went into perfecting it. I don't think I or you or any single person can do that much because, well, first of all, the guy who did it is really talented. It's not that he's better than everyone else, but he like he had a good start, but then there's it's also an open source project and so many people use it and so many people report on, on bugs and, and things. So I don't think I would ever get to this level of perfection with my personal config, but my personal config is really simple. What I would do if I were you, I would just switch for, and I set a limit for myself. I say, I'm going to switch to Doom Emacs for two months or something. And those two months should, of course, be not your off months. They should be filled with work and you should actually use it for your um, whatever you use Emacs for. And then see, and then just just have this kind of evaluation session where you think, put maybe on paper all the pros and cons you found. I still think the best way to use Emacs is to try all those and in the end build your own config because anything you see in Spacemax and Doom Emacs and other packages and configs, you can, this is the beauty of Emacs, you can get into your config. It will take some work if you want to, you know, isolate things that you like, but in the end you might be super happy because you'll get the best of of the worlds available. But if you really want to have this cohesive, nice, evil experience, <laughs> that sounds bad, but if you do want these evil packages that work nicely together, then Doom, I think, is a great choice because, yes, it is so fast and less bloated than Space Max, and it's the evil ecosystem is tuned there, and it seems like most of the things work just as expected. But yeah, I think one of the future episodes I should do the same. Should switch to Doom for a month or so and see how it goes and then report back. By then I'll have a better answer. Okay, number three. I love autocomplete in Vim. The autocompletion in Emacs with company and others is very slow and sometimes doesn't pop up. How should I fix it? Oh yeah, company is okay, but it is much slower than anything I've used before in any other editors, including Vim including Sublime, uh, including even VS Code, I think. Um, there are th- ways to tune it. If you just uh, Google, there, there are always, you know, Stack Overflow and Reddit answers. Uh, there are few settings you can set and make it faster. There's also built-in company diag command. So if you just, you know, MetaX company diag, it will show you what backends are being used at the moment for, for this open buffer. And it could be that because you have many, many uh, packages enabled, company uses multiple backends, like maybe 20 backends. That would slow things down a lot. Another thing, which is probably not what you mean, but by default, it has quite a big idle time, meaning this delay between you type something and it pops up. And it feels slow because it feels like it has been loading for a second, but it's actually just a setting. I think by default, it's a, it's a second. I tuned it to like uh, 200 milliseconds, I think, and that's just almost instant and it's perfect. So maybe that is part of the problem. Also, if you do have a quite a complex configuration, then do try the built-in profiler. It will show you how many uh, resources autocompletion took. So it's really easy in Emacs. You just start a profiler by, I think, profiler start, then do something, then say profiler report and choose both CPU and memory report, and it will show you what thing contributed to the performance of Emacs during that time. 
So if you just open some file, start a profiler, and then start typing to invoke the company mode auto completion window, and then do the profiler report thing, then you will see that uh, company mode took certain percentage of the CPU time used by Emacs and certain percentage of the memory used by Emacs. It's a tree, so you will see what sub-processes company mode used and how many percent those took. You might see that some backend, so maybe some particular process contributed to the slowness. And then if there if something stands out, then either explore it on your own or Google, because chances are something common makes company mode slow and someone already sold this somewhere on the Reddit or Stack Overflow or somewhere else. For me, I use just a few number of backends. My whole configuration for Emacs is getting smaller and I like it. I, I just, I want it to be as close to vanilla Emacs as possible because that thing is fast. But uh, with the small amount of backends, small amount of settings and the short idle time, company mode is quite fast. It's okay for me. I'm, I'm, I'm using it uh, and I don't see a problem with it speed-wise. But there, there are problems uh, I lately try to get into code streaming, you know, those Twitch live stream coding sessions. And I was doing some closure script development live on Twitch. And of course I used Emacs and I made my window, I made the font in the window larger so that people viewing can see better. But that totally broke company because if you get to the end of the line and the company mode is invoked, then this menu of auto completions it just breaks into multiple lines and it's ugly and it's not usable. So it shows how uh, this thing is actually a non-native thing in Emacs because it's not something built in. It's, it's just a, a simulation popover text kind of thing. And uh, if you change the underlying font size in certain certain conditions, it just it just breaks. Number four, Vim is quite snappy when it comes to opening files. Can I achieve the same snappiness in Emacs? If you are opening files with Emacs when your Emacs is closed, meaning you're launching a new instance of Emacs when opening a new file, then the actual opening of the file is probably not contributing much to that time. It's everything else. It's your Emacs loading or your packages loading or your configuration, etc. So maybe it's a question about just Emacs loading and that could be solved by using Emacs as a client. And if you just Google Emacs server client, then you'll find uh, quite a simple way to make Emacs run as a daemon, uh, basically run as a service on the operating system, hidden, not having a visual app anywhere but the process of Emacs will be running all the time. And then when you open a file in Emacs, it will just basically run Emacs. It's not running a full-blown complete Emacs and loads everything. It runs Emacs as a client. And uh, that means it just connects to the running daemon and it doesn't, it, it should be instant. And opening a new file this way would be just instant. There are caveats to this and I'm not using it really, uh, but that's, also another topic for another episode. So yeah, let me write this down because so one of the ideas was Doom Emacs and another idea was Daemon. Is it Daemon or Demon? Because it's it sounds like Matt Daemon, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say yeah. Run Emacs in Matt Daemon mode. That's uh, that's the way to go. Maybe you are talking about the actual process of opening a file. Let's say you already have Emacs running and you do you know, control XF and you open a file and it takes some time. If it's a huge file, 
then there is a setting to change the way memory is allocated for big files in Emacs. And again, if you just Google Emacs big files, you'll find this particular setting that might help. If it's not a huge file and it still takes a long time, then do the profiler thing again. Uh, run the profiler, open the file, then close the profiler, do the report and see what happened. Chances are this is some file that brings multiple packages. Multiple packages are enabled when this type of file is opened. Maybe even something like if you open a file within a Git directory, maybe you have something like projectile and it does indexing and caching, and it's also a source code file for a particular programming language, so it brings one or two minor modes for that programming language. There's also company, of course, that might do something behind your back by indexing text or anything. So I would also, with any problems with the speed, first thing you do is try the profiler and see what package or what process contributed most to the thing. With vanilla Emacs, I don't think it's any slower than vanilla Vim. It's quite snappy. Once you have just a few packages, there, there's, a, there's a limit. With the useful amount of packages, Emacs is, I think it's going to be slower than vanilla Vim. Uh, but that's the price to pay. Okay, and number five is actually related to that. That's a final question from Ronak is, do you have a couple of tips to make Emacs blazing fast? So I'm just going to reiterate, steal something from Doom. Doom has a particular interesting way of initializing. And if you try Doom, the first thing you'll notice is how fast it loads, even though it has like so many packages. There is an excellent explanation of what happens by the author on the GitHub. I'll link it in show notes. And he describes all the little tricks he used to make his Emacs run so fast and load so fast. And some of them are quite uh, unusual, like saying no to package EL, the built-in package management extension. It's uh, probably not something you would consider on yourself, like how do I make Emacs faster disable package EL and do the package loading elsewhere. But that's something that uh, contributes a lot to the launching time. Another tip, and I'm repeating myself, is the profiler. First, I would just see how your Emacs loads and just look at it maybe even time it, and then launch Emacs with the Q flag. Load nothing, just launch vanilla Emacs. Or, you know, you can just delete or rename your Emacs D folder and run Emacs, it will just launch as the, this default ugly <laughs> gray bar thing and see how faster is that. Have that as a baseline. So I'm always amazed so when my config breaks and there's some error and Emacs then launches in this default mode, I'm always amazed how fast it is. It's just so, it launches instantly, everything is instant. I always want to get to that. I can never do it with the amount of packages I use. So this is why I, any chance I get, I try to cut something from my config, even though the whole idea of Emacs is, you know, extensibility. And it's funny that you want it to be less extended. I would always compare to vanilla from time to time. And sometimes you get used to, to your speed and then just try vanilla and think, oh my god, mine is actually slow. I would also ditch as many bells and whistles as possible. When I started, I, I was, you know, looking for the perfect color theme and a perfect uh, power line and some fringe uh, niceties and stuff like that and number lines, etc. But uh, ditching all those helped a lot. And I don't think, like, a nice power line is something that uh, I really need. I, I just, for some reason, want it to be this uh, thing 
of its own, but the default one is just fine. I I enjoy it. I, I like it. So again, I don't think you should ditch anything that you enjoy. Like you like something, you like looking at it. Maybe first try to optimize it. Try to Google how that particular extension or theme or mod line or something could be faster. But if you don't really care, if you care mostly about speed, then ditch as much as possible. Consider changing some of the extensions that you use if you use for example like one of the things that is quite slow is the built-in git grep so if you use something like projectile and if you want to search the contents of the project uh, so of multiple files i think by default it uses git grep and it's fast enough but it's not really fast and it's kind of slow on big projects switching that search backend to ag the silver searcher or Probably the fastest one right now is rip grep. That would make things much faster. Also consider switching from Helm to Ivy if you use Helm. This might make things faster since Ivy and Council are much leaner packages. Another thing where I'm gonna repeat myself is the server. Try to use Emacs in the Matt Damon mode and use Emacs client to actually run Emacs. That will of course affect the loading time only it will not affect the run time and something that i learned the hard way is linum mode i think it's built in it's just the way to enable line numbers and of course i was amazed how could a text editor well a code editor not have line numbers enabled by default what kind of editor is this and of course i need line numbers right because well i need I need to see line numbers, I guess. But it turned out uh, the thing is really slow. So if you just disable linum mode, I promise you it will make <laughs> Emacs faster. But then I thought, well, but line, I need line numbers. But after disabling it and living with it for weeks, only a couple of times I needed to actually see the line number. And it, it was because I needed to go to a particular line. And then I realized this is the only reason I needed line numbers. And to go to a particular line, I don't want to see it, really. I just want to get there. So you just use a key binding to go to line, and that's it. So it turned out for me, I don't really need line numbers. So disabling it wasn't an issue. But if you really do need line numbers, then use uh, another package called endlinum mode. There are a few more, but all of them are faster than the built-in linum mode package. So yeah, do that. Of course, if you Google, again, Emacs faster or make Emacs faster, you'll find a lot of tips and a lot of settings and a lot of ideas to make Emacs faster. If you just do that, half of them will be about this Emacs client, Emacs Matt Damon. All of them are the same, so they're not really talking about runtime. So you can use this Google magic of excluding search results by saying exclude, I guess you can say not, that's an operator available in Google. So not Emacs client or not Emacs daemon. And uh, you'll find a bunch of tips. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Ronak. And thank you to my patrons who support this podcast with their money. I will see you later, hopefully in a couple of weeks. And we'll talk about one of those topics that I shared in the beginning. And of course, keep writing whatever feedback you have. See ya. This episode was made possible by wonderful patrons. Thank you, Alex Koval, Fritz Grabo, Kent Ortel-Johnson, and others.